Well, hold on, fellas. We're doing a podcast. <laughs> Dude, that's so fucking loud. <laughs> that is so loud. <laughs> From the chip on. Right. Dude, I'm I'm looking at my uh my recording right now. It's just fucking those waves <laughs> are huge. Sausage, sausaged out. <laughs> it's unfortunate. <laughs> uh, we begin that with uh, <sighs> huge waves on my recording. Oh, huge waves! Um, Shout out to uh, first night on the work computer, dude. Fucking nice. Yeah. Word on the pod, Tony. I don't know if you're. <laughs> you're I don't think. I don't know if your Zoom auto adjusted but your voice is really quiet <laughs> oh is it well it doesn't yeah. matter because well i guess it, sh- it will on the the video okay now guess, it's coming up but, what the fuck um well i just turned it up oh gotcha so okay. i'll tell you maybe if we're good out. now maybe we should have had this figured out but welcome back to another episode of failure at its <laughs> finest hour uh episode 28 as it seems like we haven't done this in a while but really, it's just we're recording a little late. Um, it does feel like a, long, a month has gone by. Yeah, been, really, it has. Really long. And it only has been now. a week, really. Um, <clears throat> so we're back. Uh, right now, it's just me, Aaron, and Chris. Uh, Dylan's not here yet. Hopefully, he can join in a little bit. But You got arrested on the way home. Yeah. It's unfortunate. What is that Chris, you watching like background? Tom and Jerry in the background or yeah. something? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Oh, it's main cabin master. Uh, you watching Mash or something? No, no, you, got, you gotta, you gotta turn, you gotta turn down the. Oh, it's oh, the, it's the baby monitor. monitor. Oh, it's oh, your okay. child screaming. Turn that fucking like shit off. You <laughs> fucking say that about slap shot that Wait, are they crying? The room. Are they crying? Why is there so much noise? Um, because I haven't fed them in twenty four hours. <laughs> Shut the fuck <laughs> on. up. He's joking. He's joking. <laughs> Oh my God. No, I'm not. I'm not joking. And this no, was episode them. 20. <laughs> They're snoring. You're hearing my daughter snore. Damn, dude. Like father, like daughter. Sucking the pain Sucking off the, the walls. Sucking the pain off the walls. <laughs> dude, I'll never forget my bachelor party when you're... Well, I guess I I don't know. I shouldn't call him out like that, but someone that was re- related to Chris was just fucking... Dude, he was on. He, he was on the job that night, dude. He was fucking <laughs> sawing logs. Sawing logs. The walls were the walls were flexing. Oh my that motherfucker! That motherfucker was definitely on the job site. <laughs> motherfucker, like that o- was definitely gotta o- on the job site. <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, we're coming off of. What was a pretty fucking awesome interview with Bruce Johansson? Wow, and was that uh, just riveting. It was. I mean, that was. I mean, that was. I'll he, do my guy like he that. He called Come Chris on. out, so that was probably like Chris yeah. a little salty. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. Your patience Bruce is Johansson. thinning. You gave Mr. me some Shiner. Bruce Johansson jujitsu, some BJJ. <laughs> so we wanted to kind of follow up on that because we do have a couple stories that kind of lead off of that last episode. Um. Also, I had a lot of people reach out and say that they were pretty interested in the books that he had. So that's kind of cool. So hopefully, yeah. although yeah, he says yeah. he doesn't make anything off of them, it'd be cool to yeah, like he, support them. But there's a lot of people that said that they would, were very interested in, in getting those books. So 100% confirmed. Bruce Johansson is not loyal to the bag. <laughs> no. <laughs> he's, the, he's, the, he's the real deal. Definitely not. But I wanted to kind of 
uh, of course, I just read this to you guys off air, so you guys are going to be like, yo, gives a fuck. <laughs> so we have a story from a listener. Uh, yeah, who gives a fuck? Shout out to Aaron Dean. Um, he kind of followed up on our YouTube. Shout out to the YouTube. He commented, which I think is a great idea. If you ever want to get a hold of us, just comment on a fucking YouTube video. That's beautiful. If you don't have Twitter, yeah. everyone has a YouTube account, right? So he commented on the video, and I'll just read it. I remember around 2008, 2009, I was a student in the summer, summer history internship program for the OCHS. There was a lot of work to be done in and around the lighthouse property. I worked alongside Dylan Thompson a lot that summer and vividly remember uh, retelling his account with Mr. Stripe. Of course, we heard the story from Bruce when Dylan saw a figure on the gallery of the lighthouse. Well, that summer, Dylan and I were tasked with painting the spiral staircase leading up to the gallery. We were painting the concrete floor at the base of the stairs, and in the same area, there was an egress door leading outside to the yard in front of the lighthouse. We were painting away, minding our own business, when all of a sudden the door right next to us flung open, and just as soon as it opened was slammed shut. We both felt a rush of cool air, looked at each other like, what the fuck, and noticed both of us had the hair on our arms standing up. What made the experience more strange was that it was a hot mid-July summer day with no breeze whatsoever. Again, them feeling that rush cool of air as soon as the door did that. It's wild. Oh, we heard a loud creak in one of the adjacent rooms as we were the only people in the building at this time. We both immediately dropped whatever we were doing and got the fuck out of there. I don't think we ended up going back into the building for at least a few days. So they didn't, wa- they didn't wash those. Br- they didn't wash those paint brushes. <laughs> no. <laughs> Could you imagine you you walk in and it just says hard. "fuck you" and paint the paint on the walls? <laughs> Dude, that is. I will say, shout out, shout out to Ernie, uh, Mr. Aaron Dean, no, uh, for for an Good incredible fan. story. Good Thank listener. you, as well as that's really well written. I yeah, mean, it was like very that's well like written. perfect platform. I mean, he's a yeah. he's a fucker's a genius. Yeah. But anyways, so we have uh-huh. more content from the past episode. You heard. Aaron and I's encounter, but really it was me and Ryan Kaipanen because we were the two that saw this. Um, but you've heard this story twice now, I think. But if you remember, um, Aaron, uh, I think it was us three in Kipes because you and Chris were sleeping in the back seat. But I'll tell, tell it again. Kipes yeah, and I we were, were sleeping. <laughs> Snug- <laughs> Shut <snuggling>. up. <laughs> so we were driving down uh, M38 again past the dump where, of course, the orange jogger uh all those stories that Bruce was telling. Well, when we were driving, we saw what looked like reflectors on a bike, on two bike wheels going across a road like that. Shout out to the YouTube. And we freaked out. We saw it go down into the ditch, into the woods, disappear. We were freaking out, got out. We're, we were looking right into the woods where it looked like it went into and there was nothing. And we both made the... We we both understood that if a bike actually went down in that ditch and went into the woods, they would just fucking crash right away because it was so thick. <laughs> so, again, nothing came of that. Well, after we fucking recorded that last episode with Bruce, my dad calls me, okay? And I'm not going to name any names, but I guess my dad told me that an individual from Ontonagon in that area hit a fucking kid on a bike <laughs> in that same stretch, but... It wasn't real. Like, he didn't actually hit and kill a kid. He hit a kid on a bike. He pulled over, was freaking out, got out. There was no damage to his car. There was no kid. There was no bike. 
Oh, yeah. Orange, orange jogger circumstances. So that was, it's the um, same scenario. Same scenario. Chris, I can, you know, I'll just bleat this. That was, uh, you know, it. Toivonen <laughs> from Toivonen. Oh, cut that, cut that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh, my gosh. It was, he said it was either. <laughs> German McGomery? <laughs> no, it was Jeff Canava. Dude, I was at. Canava. But I fucking, I my dad told me that, and I just goosebumps, yeah, and I didn't say anything for like 10 seconds. Oh, tried yeah, calling me. <laughs> that he tried calling me, and he was at, I'll read you the text. <laughs> I was at dinner with uh, with Amelie's family, and uh, he tried calling, and I was like, hey, dude, I'm at the dinner table. I can't. And he texted me in, in all caps, the whole fucking thing. <laughs> My dad called me and said he listened to the Bruce episode. He said that Mr. So-and-so. Mm, I told me this ghost story <laughs> was one of the was one of the stories of the jogger but my dad said he hit a little fucking kid on a bike that was going across the road my dad is 100 percent sure it was a kid on a bike that was going across the road he got out on the side of the road by the ditch and didn't see anything and there wasn't any dents in the car he saw the kid's bike <laughs> i had yeah. had goosebumps for the 20 minutes now <laughs> so i went and ran i went and ran six kids over to make sure i wasn't seeing things <laughs> <laughs> so of course I, I was like just like Jeez. calling I called or I tried uh, I didn't call Kipes but I because I think I was just about to go to bed and I was like I'm just I'm just gonna text him so I pretty much did the same thing and then Kipes was like wondering I mean we both were wondering like what the fuck what's going on like why are there stories of a jogger and and Bruce was talking about how there's different types of clothing like he said that there's a green green yeah. green orange the guys or bruce said there's a denim story of just denim jacket and jeans now a, texas and tuxedo now a kid in a fucking bike so kites is like are these like people that have like maybe got killed over there in yeah. that area and you wonder and it's just like what the fuck so then he sent me like a google maps of houses like in that area and he's like look at these trails that lead to and we were just i mean i couldn't i didn't fall asleep because i was just thinking about it it's like, oh my god, are there bodies buried back yeah. there somewhere? Hmm. So I don't know, but that there's a little follow up from from last week's episode, and it was just <clears throat> kind of you know an incredible one thing, story. One thing I never mentioned in the in the last episode is that maybe maybe I did mention it. I don't remember. Stop me if I did. But um, there's like stories of these thin thin places, right? And there's a lot of other podcasts that talk about them, and you know, plenty of other forms of media. But a place. Um, that is exists on earth there's there's hundreds of them apparently probably thousands but there it's called a thin place because it's a, the membrane between our reality and the next reality whether it's the afterlife or some other parallel universe mm. is the membrane is thinner so it's easier for those things to be seen yeah. so a, which is a, a spooky which is a, a spooky take a flap if you will yeah, right. A trap door um, huh. from this world to the next. But mm -hmm. I'm wondering I mean, if uh, most importantly, uh, have you heard of the Utah flap? <clears throat> One of those big monuments where tons of paranormal sightings have occurred. Oh yeah, the uh, where also Skinwalker Ranch. Of, yeah, tons of of mis mis misfortune for people. Yeah, you know, people who tried to live there. So it's very, it's a very interesting thing. take. Yeah, I want to like. I don't know. I don't know what I want to do because, like, I didn't – how many years now? When? Because then I was, like, asking him, do you remember, you know, if we act – because I always say that we were coming back from a movie. And he was like, yeah, I swear we were coming back from a movie. And then I was like, do you remember which one we were 
going to see because then I wanted to get like the time, you know, Pla- like the- Planet, Planet of the Apes. Yes, and that's what it was. He was like, yeah. I just looked. <laughs> he fucking grinded, it, dude. He was like, I just looked, and uh, <laughs> at, the, at that time, I remember it was in. He gave me a month, and he was like, it looks like uh, Planet of the Apes. Uh, blah 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 and blah 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 came out and I was like, dude, I think it's fucking Planet of the Apes. And he was like, yeah, it, it was, was for sure Planet of the Apes. It was a great movie too. It was a wonderful movie. So I was like, when okay, were, now like, swinging through the fucking trees <laughs> and like the main like city street. So I don't know. It was that was crazy. So it was pretty cool because again, I had, had didn't know for how many years now that I remember you guys waking me up. And, yeah, we're just and being shook about it. Freaked out. And then how many years later, my dad, oh, yeah, someone hit a person on a, a kid on a bike in that same stretch. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? You didn't tell me that before when there's I told gotta, you that I saw something out there? There's got to be there's got to be documentation of that somewhere. <clears throat> I know. And, and that's the thing. Like when I asked Bruce about the jogger, like, you know, there's there's stories about all the other people that people might see. But there's no stories yeah. of people getting hit or. That's why Kipes was like, are, "Did these people get like murdered out in the woods there?" And they're that's just where they are now. I don't yeah. know, but never know. It's fucking crazy. Never know. So, so, so I've got a I've got a weird story to to make a segue uh, towards regression. Um, <clears throat> I got a weird story. So, at work today, uh, or excuse me, at work this week, Monday we showed up for work, and we have a trash compactor which people love to just show up and dump their their junk, not even residents. So this this tra- trash compactor is on like the main road. Uh, we show up and there is a late '90s, early 2000s Indy 600 Polaris snowmobile sitting there. What? With also like a, a like a fiberglass hood scoop, which looks like it's for a boat. Um, so we like we we're like, what the hell is somebody trying to get rid of this thing? So we we walk up to it. And um, immediately it smells like racing fuel, which for those for those uh, motor motorsports enthusiasts, you'll know it's a very distinct smell. Um, so, anyways, we start like looking around this thing. Um, you know, we open the hood. There's no engine in it, so we're like, "Oh, somebody took you know bought this, took the engine, and threw it here because they didn't want to take care of it. Serial number mm-hmm. scratched off, no paperwork, nothing. It's just mm. dead." So. We're like, well, that is so fucking lame, dude. Let's so so it, it it gets even deeper. So we call the police. We're like, hey, somebody dumped this here. Can you come take a look at it? Sheriff shows up. The actual like sheriff of Wyoming PD shows up and is like, well, there's nothing we can do. There's no serial number. Good luck. And we're like, thanks, awesome, very nice. So we call a towing company <laughs> to say, hey, can you like impound this thing? No serial number. They're like, nah, we'll scrap it for you though. But it's still gonna be like a seventy-five dollar charge. We're like, well, that's not the answer. So we just let it ride until today. Um, <clears throat> today we get in, and there's a police car, um, um, just like parked there, and and he's like out there looking at this thing. So we go over there. We're like, hey man, what's up? Uh, turns out it's a resident, and he also works for the Wyoming PD. He said, hey, yeah, I was taking my trash out on Saturday night. And I saw this thing sitting here. I was like, that's not normal. Like, like somebody's dumping this or getting rid of it. So he takes it upon himself to go on the Wyoming, um, Wyoming township informed page on Facebook, finds out that there's a guy that had his snowmobile stolen. No shit. So Damn. it's stolen. Right. And so we, <clears throat> we keep talking to him. We're like, okay, like, you know, did you contact the guy? What's the deal? He's like, well, I called my supervisor and we're looking into it. He said there was a, um, so there's a bank on the corner of 
the property I work at. And he said, yeah, Saturday night, somebody tried to hook up their truck to the ATM and yank out the ATM with the truck. Holy fuck. Um, so we want, we're wondering if it's connected. And I was like, there's no way. There's no way. I mean, but it is a truck, right? So we go about our day and, you know, we at the end of the day, we're exhausted. We go back to the front office and the admin at the front office is like, did you hear what happened? We're like, no. And um, so she was like, okay. You know, and after we talked to the police officer there, he's like, oh, forensic, forensics is coming um, because we, you know, we found somebody stole a snowmobile. So partway through the day we were gone and we, or we were like out doing stuff. The snowmobile ended up being picked up with the hood scoop as well. So we've talked to the admin. She says, um, oh yeah, the police determined that four vehicles were stolen from a nearby apartment complex on Saturday night, four vehicles in one night. Season right. vets, right? So um, four vehicles were stolen, one of which was a truck that had a snowmobile in the back of it. They came to our property, dumped the snowmobile, then proceeded to take the truck literally like not even like a quarter of a block around the corner to this bank, tie up the, the, oh <laughs> the truck to the ATM, try and yank it out, couldn't yank it out, like rip the back end of the truck off, essentially. Oh. <laughs> and, le- and left the truck idling on the road. Oh, oh my gosh! The fucking rear axle off the bit. So so then they left it idling in the road. So then all this stuff happens. The the police you know find the truck. They get the call. Whatever. They find out it's this guy. This guy comes to the property at the will of the forensics officer and says, "Hey, you can come take your your stolen snowmobile." And he's like, "Oh, this is like a family heirloom kind of thing." Like. Mm. I just bought a new engine for it and somebody had stole my truck with the snowmobile in it. So now I can have my, you know, family's snowmobile back and I can put this racing engine in it. My grandpa Toivo Toivo his ashes are in the exhaust pipe. And and there was like a foot, there was like a muddy footprint on like the hood scoop. So, and then they they said, they're like, Oh, did you guys touch this thing? We're like, Oh yeah. Like we, (laughs) we ripped the whole thing open. We had taken the chains back to the shop because we're going to use them to like pull, you know? And so, we're like, yeah, our, our handprints are all over it for sure, but, <laughs> but the culprits are probably on it too. So, um, so yeah, they, the guy, they, the forensics person came, dusted for prints, then they took it. You know, guy got a snowmobile back, and just a weird. No I didn't think it was a freaking crime scene at our trash compactor. Yeah, it's full holy of fuck, dirty so, diapers and dog so, shit. Like, so they yanked, they yeeted his axle out of his truck, but he got his truck back. He right? did, yep. And he got his sled back. Yep. And so, pay- all in all, I guess, I mean, you're paying your deductible. When the guy came to the office and talked to our admin and said that, oh, my God, you know, it thanked us and all this stuff. I wasn't there, but um, thank the, the admin and all this, you know, was like almost in tears, I guess. And he said that insurance claimed that his truck was probably going to be totaled. So I don't know if he had full coverage, but might get a new truck out of it. And he got a sled back, so. I'll bet you it was some straight white piece of shit who did that to him too. I don't know. They were seemed like they were seasoned to steal four vehicles in one night from a you know vehicles that are stolen down here at least. <clears throat> if you're stealing a vehicle, I'll, I think there's a high percentage that they're going to be used in another crime. So, mm. so yeah, whether it's man, I, I want to move to GR. So steal cars. If you were in Lower Michigan at a snowmobile race and you see a and a vintage black, purple, and blue 
Indy 600 Polaris with the racing number 80 on the side. That's my dude, and I helped him get his stuff back. <laughs> Good for you, man. Well, I have, before we get into the 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 dirty... The, gu- the guts to this. Yeah, I do have some... Uh, yeah, you had an update, right? Some, uh, no, so I just have some some uh, national holidays. Oh, just man. spice yeah. it up. Have got them. Dude, I'm going. I'm going in blind. We haven't talked about this. We're so coming back. Yeah, no. It's there's nothing crazy. I just you know I I don't know. I've never really gotten any feedback on the national holidays. It's something that we kind of did, and I don't know. I don't know if people like that or. It must. Um, it's, a, it's a dumb radio. It's a it's a radio show. It, bit. Yeah, <laughs> it is a little radio show bit, and that's good. I don't know. I like even it. If that's why I like it. Even if yeah, yeah, if there's one person that enjoys it. So we got International Accounting Day. So hey, oh. if you're an accountant, you can go fuck yourself. It's happy birthday to the Marine Corps uh, today. <laughs> can you imagine the one Marine friend that we have that's that listens to this podcast and he's like, "Oh, dude, you gotta check this out," and he hears that. Yeah. While, like, <laughs> In a barracks somewhere. Because that was going to, my next uh, national holiday is Sesame Street Day, which I was going to say kind of correlates with Marine Corps Day, because that's probably as much as they can process in watching a show. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We support our troops. We support our troops. But it really is. (laughs) It is is Sesame Street Day, though. Um, Forget Me Not Day. Is that a dessert, right? Forget me nots or oh, those are that's wild, a, wild flowers. That's a flower. Or is that a flower? Okay, <laughs> a dessert. What am I thinking of? I don't know. Forget, I have no idea what you're thinking. Forget of. me nots, dude. Yeah, <laughs> those Dylan's are delicious. His eyes. Those are delicious. Of, oh, dude, you're thinking of uh... <laughs> grandma's mistakes. What am I thinking of, dude? Grandma's yeah, probably grandma's forgot, mistakes. Forgotten oh. mistake or forgot. Forgotten. Forget me nots, dude. Those are so delicious. <laughs> now and later's. Whatchamacallits? Your guys' grandmas didn't make forget-me-nots, dude. They're so good. (laughs) No, grandma. Now you you see me, now you don't. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I'm making fun of fucking Marines. Let's go. This is... is... Oh, that's National Vanilla Cupcake Day. That's what I was thinking of. That's the dessert. Yep. I just... I hope that the listeners are distraught at these... As, as distraught as, at these holidays as we are, because some of this shit is just the wackiest. That is Tony. Hold on. And then the last, the last one is area code day. So nine oh six. We've already dude, had our nine oh six day, but we got it back. Like two in one year. That's nine oh. That is a lot. That's that's sixty nine. Sorry. And then of course know. it is Veterans Day tomorrow, Friday, oh, shit. November eleven. Is it really? Yeah. Yep. It's also my girlfriend's Ooh, birthday. Boy, I'm gonna get really? Pizza. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Oh, no. No. Me day. tomorrow. Me tomorrow. This is gonna be like, damn, it feels good to be a gangster. <laughs> walking into like Wendy's for a free cheeseburger. Oh my gosh. Wear, wear your dress blues. Take yeah. your military ID to every Applebee's in the, yeah. in the vicinity. For a free $11 meal. <laughs> for free indigestion. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for your service, sir. <laughs> there he is. There he Here is. is your... <laughs> Kirko's in the mix, dude. Thank you for your service. Dude, Here we are just horrible meal. <laughs> we are just rambunctious tonight. Why'd you put the hat on? Embrace it. 
Come on, man. Dude, I don't look like a fucking. You look like you're 16 again, dude. So you kidding young. me? You do you look like seriously delete. look like exactly like a hardcore man. Pot of a pop can. Whoa, whoa! It's an apple core. It's an apple core. Except you did the pop can. You almost look exactly the same, except right now you don't look like you have AIDS. Dude, you look like you look like Dylan from when we were fishing for sturgeon <laughs> off of the off of the pier. That's the Dylan you look like right now. If you had that it's... element, who has that element hat? <laughs> Who does? Who has that? Is that you have that in your possession still? Yeah. Man, that went through. Wait, you got to give it to Tony ceremoniously at some point, so that way it passes through all four of us. All you guys had it. What the fuck? I didn't get it. Yeah. (laughs) For the listeners that don't know, I had a black uh, element skateboarding hat that had a like a red (laughs) element logo on it. I gave it to Chris. Chris gave it to Dylan, and now Dylan. What the fuck? We'll have to bestow it upon Tony's uh, long-haired head. Hold on a second, fellas. What's up? How long have we been doing this episode? Twenty-five minutes. What is it? What, what is this episode about again? Oh yeah, shit. Um, <laughs> so today is also um, <laughs> very good transition. That was professional. <laughs> so today, you know, I mentioned on the national holidays, but. The biggest one, well, I guess it's not a national holiday, but uh, the anniversary of the sinking of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Directly Edmund. And it is, um, I didn't do any research. What's the, how many years has it been since? Uh... <laughs> since since 1975. <laughs> so we're, we're pulling up on. Uh... You're asking the wrong guy to do math, man. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm... 40. It's, uh, do it. seven do years. It. 47 years. Good job. Good job. <laughs> so it is the 47th I don't anniversary <laughs> of when the Edmund Fitzgerald uh, sank 530 feet into the depths of Lake Superior. And we're kind of, I don't know, this is new for us. We haven't really had any informative topics uh, to talk about. Kind except of for Bruce, except for Bruce. Yeah, Jones. I guess, but we didn't really do any of the talking, which was great, by the way. I loved that he did most of the talking, but um, really good feedback. yeah. So we are. I like how Chris fucking. That's right. You can let her. You can let her rip. You got to Chris. What are we talking about? He just leaves. So thank you, thank you for tuning in. Episode so, twenty. So. so <laughs> sorry. Dude. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. That's funny. Um, so I kind of went over it with Aaron about what we're going to kind of do here. I have, I did, Aaron and I, I mean, we all kind of did our research and I, I kind of wrote something up and I'm not going to make it seem like I'm just reading like word for word off a sheet. So, and we're just going to go blind in this with, uh, Dylan's now gone, but Chris, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna read some stuff and then we can mm-hmm. like just talk about it. I'm not gonna right. just read through all this like in one shot. Like we yeah. can kind of have discussions around some of the topics yeah. I bring up. We'll chunk our way through it. We're gonna start here. Shipwrecks are obvious. Shipwrecks are very common. Obviously not anymore, but there has been 550 shipwrecks in Lake Superior, and that is from the Great Lake Shipwreck Museum. Um, and it says that at least 200 of them, so there's kind of like a, a bad stretch, and that is from Munising to Whitefish Point, obviously 
the point or the Whitefish Point was where the Edmund sunk, but 200 of the 550 in Lake Superior have been on that stretch. And dude, there's not going to be much lake left. Pretty dude. much. <laughs> I know, I know. Seriously. And, uh, it's all ship. And that's why Munising profits yearly on their shipwreck tours. Um, but, I mean, the reason why that stretch is so bad is because there's not really anywhere to go for ships. Uh, no ports that they can dock at and stuff. It's pretty much if you get to Whitefish Bay, that's really the only stretch until you get to, I mean, if you want to go to Marquette. But So we're just going to start off with that. A lot of shipwrecks have happened in, I mean... I think there's about 6,000 in the Great Lakes total, 550 in Lake mm. Superior. Holy cow. But the Edmund Fitzgerald was first ordered uh, on February 1st of 1957 by the Northwest Mutual Life Insurance Company. And uh, it actually was designed at the time to be one foot shorter than the absolute maximum limit on the Great Lakes. And before I tell anybody, I kind of told Aaron earlier, but... Maybe this is a game for the listener too, but do you guys know why there was a limit at seven thirty? No. Why was there a limit? Um, Chris, why was there a limit? Again, maybe for the listener, I want the listener to be like, "Oh, it's because this, this, this." Maybe this. So, anyways, there was a limit because at the time the Sioux Locks had only allowed was only seven hundred and thirty feet long at the time, but in nineteen sixty eight it was actually rebuilt and it was built uh, twelve hundred feet long. So that's why. Now the Edmund at the time was claimed the biggest ship, which which it was, but I think until 1972 there was a bigger ship that had been made. Um, so at the time it was 729 feet long, uh, 75 feet wide, so it was a fucking massive ship at the time. Um, it was the largest ship again to sail in the Great Lakes. It weighed 13,632 tons, which I did the conversion right. <laughs> if you remember our <laughs> fail at before, but that's oh my God. that's twenty seven point two million pounds, and, and she was able to carry well over twenty five thousand tons, which that was the conversion we were trying we were trying to do but couldn't. But that's equivalent to fifty million pounds. And how is it so buoyant? It's man. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. Uh, the sh- the ship was manned by uh, twenty nine men. And was powered by massive steam turbine engines that could reach up to 14 knots, which is knots, which is about 16 miles per hour. And this is that's fucking cooking for that. (laughs) Yeah, honestly, she 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 had a lot of ass behind her, but she wasn't moving quick. (laughs) If you ever see one of these ships, which we all have, obviously, like out in the open water, like it doesn't look like they're moving at all. But 16 miles an hour, you think in a car, like you know, you're going pretty quick. Um, but. This is kind of cool. The, the Edmund Fitzgerald was actually named by the president of the Northwestern uh, Mutual Life Insurance Company. So the president's name was Edmund Fitzgerald, which I thought was pretty cool. And he actually had a, a good history with with uh, with the seas. I mean, his grandfather, and he had five brothers that were all mariners. And uh, his company, actually, that he owned was heavily invested in uh, the iron ore and coal industry, which was why they were able to spend the $8.4 million dollars to buy the old girl. And in today's money. And in today's, with inflation, that's $88 million today. God well, damn. Yeah, we're biting the miracles, you know. <laughs> Shut up. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so uh, it was uh, finally dropped in the water uh, August 7th of 1957, uh, but wasn't commissioned until almost a year later. And, uh, I mean, obviously all these facts to start off with are great, but what I'm about to tell you is something that I never knew of, which Aaron, I know, I know you watched the the same thing I did. 
And I'm getting most of this from the Maritime Horrors uh, YouTube channel on the Edmund Fitzgerald, which is a great watch. Uh, there's a lot of great documentaries on mm-hmm. this on YouTube that you can watch. But so actually, during like the christening ceremony, of course, when they drop boats, large boats like that, into the water, you just pretty much get like a bunch of fucking logs and just slide it down into the water. Well, before they did that, the wife of Edmund Fitzgerald, the president of the company that bought and was named after the ship or the ship was named after him, she was going to smash a bottle of champagne over it just to, you know, christen it a little bit. But it took her three times to break the bottle. So she did it twice, and it didn't break. So everyone That's was, bad luck. Exactly. So not only that, but as the ship dropped into the water, I guess it took, like, a really, really, like, scary angle where, like, people were kind of worried about it when it was sliding. But when it hit the water, it was fine. And, of course, if you've ever seen videos of ships getting dropped like that, it creates a huge wave. Well, it was so big and so, like, kind of frightening at the time that there was 10,000 people, I guess, in, like, grandstands and, like, on rooftops watching this thing get dropped. And the wave was so big and it was such a frightening sight with that ship coming down that there was actually somebody in the crowd that ended up having a heart attack and dying. So (laughs) there were, (laughs) yeah, so there were, I mean, right off the rip, I mean, the Edmund was, (laughs) was not... It did not start off on the right foot. Imagine just be like, oh, I can't wait to see this boat <laughs> launch today. Holy like, fuck, holy like, shit. You're like, oh my god. <gasps> and that was and that was the first death claimed by the Edmund. Yeah, so that's just I when I heard that, read that, I was like, there's no fucking way, dude. What? Could you yeah? Wow, it's so big. <laughs> holy fuck. So let's get back to the ship itself. I mean, it was beautiful. Um, reading and hearing about the ship itself, I didn't know this. Um, you think in the 50s, you know, it's just a shitty old vessel that's huge and can carry a lot of fucking shit, right? Well, it had uh, state-of-the-art radio and communication systems, uh, equipment, uh, the most advanced navigational and charting equipment, uh, comfortable captain's quarters, laundry rooms, guest rooms, guest lounges, probably better than the fucking cruise ships that just hit the Great Lakes here. Last year or this year, <laughs> but really it was it was very nice. Uh, and since the ship was so nice and expensive, they wanted the best uh, crew members on the ship, in which they got they got twenty nine of probably one of the most experienced guys that had been on the Great Lakes. And uh, finally, it took its maiden voyage a year after it it hit the water. Uh, so it took a little time to actually get going there, but it took off uh, September twenty second of nineteen fifty eight. So again, almost a year later, she left from Detroit to Silver Bay, Minnesota to pick up some taconite iron ore. And in its very first trip, it broke a record for uh, tonnage, the tonnage record on the Great Lakes. And I guess the captain at the time, whose name was Peter Pulser, uh, he took the wheel in 1966 as he was, I guess, one tough son of a bitch. That fucker knew how to run a ship, but he broke six records in his time as he set uh, the single haul record of over 30,000 tons on the ship. He did that four times. So he broke his own record three times and broke the uh, initial record the, the first time. Um, another record that Pulsar set with the Fitz was the yearly haul record, and that was 1,349,444 tons in one year, oh, which right. I, did nice. the, I did the right math, and that's equivalent to 2.7 billion pounds. Billion. 
So that's, which goes, that's insane. Which is another testament to, to, to the amount of iron ore, probably mostly iron ore, I would assume, that was coming out of the UP at that point. I mean, there's, there's a reason that everything, every town, every street is something iron-related in Michigan. Yeah. And, and because the, it's all iron ore. The Fitz's route, it, it really, it said, was, was mostly from, um, like, Duluth or the Superior area, and then it would go to, like, Detroit or down to Ohio. But I'm assuming that in the mix from Superior, like, Up that, to Saginaw that, River that iron that they had been transporting, that obviously, like, some of that had to have come from the UP. Like you said, Aaron, I mean, that iron industry in the UP was, was, was insane, but... But going back to the uh, captain at the time, Peter Pulser, he seemed like a cool fucking dude, um, and he was for the people. Uh, there's records of Pulser blaring music uh, on the loudspeaker when they'd go through like canals like on the Detroit River and the St. Clair River. And uh, he would actually, like at the Sioux Locks, he would go out on the deck with a megaphone, and he'd be like spewing facts to the people that were watching. And I guess the Edmund was a obviously a fascinating thing all the people in the Sioux on meth going to see the uh, Edmund go through <laughs> the right. locks. <laughs> all right. But anyways, <laughs> so Pulser, Peter Pulser, uh, he, he, he gave up his duties in uh, 1972 to uh, Ernest McSorley as he took the uh, took the helm. But McSorley was pretty much the complete opposite of Pulser. I mean, he was very professional, um, but still respected by the crew. Um didn't really get into the personal lives of the crew. Um, just a he was an incredible businessman too. I guess the 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 Northern Mutual Company really enjoyed having him as the captain because they kind of trusted him and they knew that he was going to make them you know make them money. But um, three years yeah. three years was the time that McSorley had been behind the wheel. Um, but unfortunately, he was getting ready to hang up his boots because he was age he was sixty three years old. And uh, there were rumors that before the lake froze in that year of 1975 that he'd retire. Uh, but depending on the winter season, I don't know if anyone knows, um, it de- it really depends on when the season is for uh, these freighters. Um, you know, you look at the weather, out, out uh, the, the forecast, outlooks and stuff. Um, but usually it's either at the end of November or like the beginning of December, but... You know, everyone kind of respected the lake and didn't really want to push it at all. Um, but on no- November 9th, 1975, the Edmund Fitzgerald swallowed 26,000 tons of uh, taconite iron ore pellets at the Burlington Northern Railroad docks in Superior, Wisconsin. Again, that's just like five minutes from Duluth. Hmm. Um, a process that took seven hours, actually, to, to do. Jesus. Um, God damn. But with the winter layover approaching, of course, when do- or, uh, vessels like that would be done for the season they would kind of just dock and just repairs until the spring uh but this was likely rumored that that was this this shipment they were going to do was going to be the last one that the Fitzgerald was going to make that season Uh, but they were bound for Detroit uh trip the ship had made over 700 times in its career and that's equivalent to 44 trips around the world which is which is crazy whoa but that's I'm, a lot. That's a lot of times. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> but uh, on that day, the weather looked promising. They said uh, the National Weather Service had been tracking a big November storm, but they predicted uh, that the storm was going to stay south of the Great Lakes. Uh, but just hours leaving Superior, Wisconsin, uh, McSorley and the crew—I mean, they—they they found they knew right away that uh, that it wasn't gonna 
that wasn't going to stay south. But the Arthur M. Anderson, so this is an interesting ship, um, had taken off just ahead of the Edmund Fitzgerald, but it was heading on a kind of a parallel course. And the Anderson was captained by a motherfucker that had balls of steels. Balls of steel. His name was Jesse Bernie Cooper. I guess he had been, I mean, capting ships for 40, 50 years. He was a veteran of the Great Lakes. Uh, but he, he manned a ship. The Arthur was a little smaller than the, the Fitzgerald, and it was uh, a lot slower, too. So on their trek across uh, Lake Superior, um, the Edmund actually passed the Anderson. And since McSorley and Captain Cooper from the Anderson were both veterans and and they knew what they were doing, they were experienced, they were communicating through uh through their for through the route, through the radios. Um Interesting. Well as the night turned uh today, or actually I should say that McSorley, as they were communicating on the radios, um, Captain Cooper contacted the Edmund Fitzgerald and told McSorley that he had predicted that the winds were probably gonna shift as the storm progressed and as the uh Night turned to day. Well, Captain Cooper was fucking right. Uh, the winds did shift. As they were slowly approaching uh, Whitefish Bay, again, the wind shifted. Coming from the north at almost 50 miles per hour, but later it was, I think I read that it was about 70 miles per hour, gusts reaching 86. So if you think of a hurricane, um, it's getting getting there. It's getting very close. So as the ships drew closer to the bay, uh, it started to snow which was very unfortunate because the Anderson was just probably 10 or 15 miles behind the Fitzgerald, and they could see their lights, but as soon as it started to snow, they, they lost sight of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Uh, again, just some miles behind. Now, only being able to see the Fitz on the radar, uh, the Anderson actually got a call from Captain McSorley from the Fitzgerald, and I will read that conversation right here. Uh, Anderson, this is the Fitzgerald. I have sustained some topside damage. I have a fence rail laid down. Two vents lost or damaged, and a list. I'm checking down, which means that he just uh, started to go slower. Will you stay by me till I get to Whitefish? And uh, Captain Cooper from the Anderson said, Charlie on that, Fitzgerald, do you have your pumps going? And McSorley said, yes, both of them. So both ships were about about four hours from, from the safety of uh, Whitefish Bay. But the issues continued as I talked about the state-of-the-art equipment that they had, navigation systems and stuff. Well... Mm. McSorley contacted the Anderson just an hour later after they, they talked before, relaying that both of his radars that were on the ship were not working and that he was driving blind through the storm. So McSorley had asked the Anderson to assist him in navigating with, with the Anderson's radar, which, of course, uh, Captain Cooper agreed to. Uh, but a few hours later, around 4.30 p.m., it began to get dark, which, of course, we now know with the time change. Uh, that that's about the time, unfortunately, that it starts to get dark. And with the snow lo- not letting up, I mean, visibility was almost non-existent. And uh, by 5 p.m., the Anderson reported that they were about 15 nautical miles uh, from the stern of the fit fr- from the stern of the Fitz, uh, still assisting, of course, in the navigation as they were slowly, slowly catching up. Because of course, talked about how the Anderson was a lot slower than the Fitzgerald. So an hour later, so around 6 p.m., the waves were reported to be as high as 25 feet. That's crazy. As the waves, again, at that point, had started rolling, the waves had started rolling over both ships, the Anderson and the Fitzgerald. So by 7 p.m., the Edmund Fitzgerald had been only one hour away from safety as they were approaching Whitefish Bay. So McSorley, the captain of the Fitzgerald, reached out to Captain Cooper of the Anderson once again, 
uh, to report that they were 10 nautical miles ahead and only 15 nautical miles to the target, which was Whitefish Bay. Before signing off, Captain Cooper of the Anderson had asked McSorley how they were handling their problems. Of course, uh, Captain Cooper kind of worried, but knew he's, he's, he's a veteran. He knows what he's going to do. And of course, McSorley replied back and said, we're holding our own. Well, that was the last time anyone heard from the Edmund Fitzgerald. Uh, after the conversation, Captain Cooper checked the radar once again and noticed the Fitz only nine nautical miles ahead. Then realizing, as soon as he checked the radar, that the snow actually started to let up. So him and his men went out on the dock or on the deck, and they looked to see if they could see the lights of the Fitzgerald, and they couldn't. So, of course, Captain Cooper was now kind of concerned. So he called the Coast Guard, and he asked the Coast Guard if they had any radar of the Fitzgerald, because after checking, they couldn't find the Fitzgerald on the radar anymore. In fact, the only ships that he did see, because as they were approaching Whitefish Bay, there were actually three ships that were coming uh, coming to Whitefish Bay to also safe harbor, and he could only see those three. So again, he was freaking out, and he was just thinking about how Captain McSorley was saying, we're holding our own. Now, could you imagine that? Like being the fucking Captain Cooper on the Anderson? Like we're holding our own, and literally just like minutes later, the snow starts to let up, you go outside, you look to see in the direction on where they were, can't see the lights, go back to the radar, and then all of a sudden the Fitz is off the radar. Much less piloting a massive ship that, <clears throat> like, most of your horizon is the ship, and to either side, if you could see lights, you knew it was a ship that was that you had just seen, and after hearing, we're holding our own, and then nothing, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know what the timetable is here, but... I mean, clearly, I mean, he contacted the Coast Guard. He knew that, that they were they were in deep shit because the lack of the radar especially. Mm-hmm. So then uh, Captain Cooper from the Anderson, of course, tried calling the Fitzgerald, uh, but got nothing with each call. And so since he saw those ships on the radar, those other northbound ships, he thought his phone was fucked up. So we called those northbound ships to see if his phone was working, and all those ships answered. So this is of course, when the panic started to, to happen. And then he ended up calling the Coast Guard again, and, and this is word for word what uh, Captain Cooper said. He said, I'm very concerned with the welfare, welfare of the steamer Edmund Fitzgerald. He was right in front of us, experiencing a little difficulty. He was taking on a small amount of water, and none of the upbound ships have passed him. I can see no lights as before and don't have him on radar. I just hope he didn't take a nosedive. So in the Coast Guard, of course, getting that call, they're probably like, fuck. And this is the Coast Guard in Sault Ste. Marie. Uh, but they immediately started sending out search teams as they actually asked Captain Cooper of the Anderson. Because after all of this had happened, um, I'm not sure the timetable of all of this happening, if this was like maybe an hour had gone by, but they said that at the point where Captain McSorley said we're holding our own, they were about an hour out from White, Whitefish Bay. So I'm assuming at this time... Uh, when he had contacted the Coast Guard, the Anderson had been in Whitefish Bay because the Coast Guard asked the Anderson to go back out into the water to join, like, the search team. And there's recordings on YouTube that you can listen to. And this is why before when I said he had balls of fucking steel, the Coast Guard asks him, well, can you can you go back out and maybe check to see if you can f- find anything? And he's like, well, in professional, you know, this is 1975. He's just like, well... You know, I, I don't I don't think that's a great idea. Um, 
I mean, I certainly can try if you want me to. It's just, it's wild. Like, for him to actually do that, he fucking turned around and was going, like, two miles per hour just to go back, <laughs> back out in the seas to uh, to try to find the fits. Against the wind. And Against the wind, weather. yeah. Like, and, and he, he, at first, you could tell he was, like, questioning, like, that's a stupid idea. I think he ended up saying, you know, if I go back out there, you might have two missing ships. Because, um, of course, the fits was, I mean, they considered, Aaron, you talked about how, they said the Titanic. I mean, they. I've seen nicknames of the Titanic of the La- of Lake Superior because it was the biggest ship at the time. I mean, everyone yeah. thinks a ship like that is indestructible. So as Captain Cooper is being asked to go back out into the water, <clears throat> you probably think if that fucking ship sinks, you know, I, this fucker could probably sink. So mm-hmm. he, he went back out, and of course that night they didn't find anything. So in the next morning, search teams obviously went back out to the location. And the Anderson was the ship that actually had started to see um, some some shit. They saw vests, life vests. They saw um, they saw uh, like lifeboats, kind of fucked up oh, lifeboats. Oh no! And <laughs> but of course, no survivors. Um, none of the twenty nine members were found that day, uh, dead or alive. Um. It wasn't actually until four days later that they were actually able to confirm that the Fitz did go down in that spot as they had sonar identify, like, two really large objects in the water. And they still, at the time, actually, I shouldn't say four days later they were able to identify because four days later was when they found that there was actually something in the water at that spot. But they weren't able to identify because it was just the sonar, just the top, Mm -hmm. like, above the water. And it wasn't actually until the next year. So imagine that. It, it took a year. Because obviously at the time, people were probably like, of course it's the Fitzgerald. Like, right. those two large objects probably weren't there. So life jackets. Um, I mean, they couldn't, the they, couldn't really do it. they couldn't really do shit either because, you know, winter was coming. Yeah, right, right. So it was uh, ne- the next year, which may, which makes a lot of sense, Dylan, like you said, they were able to actually get the Navy to bring one of those fucking rigs with the cameras that goes deep into the water to take pictures and stuff. And sure enough, when it went down there, it saw the Edmund Fitzgerald clearly in the water as it was in two pieces and only 200 feet apart. So after finding it, of course, like, okay, let's look for people. And they weren't able to find anybody. It wasn't until, like, 20 years later, there was a second or third or fourth. I can't remember how many dives there were. They went down there, and I don't know if you saw this or heard this, or Dylan, you either, but they went down. I don't think they were actually searching for people, but they found, like, the only body was on the lake floor. The person was lying on his back, and he was in uh, overalls and a cork vest. And he was, like, on the lake floor, like, next to the, to the boat, one of the pieces. And that's kind of, people were like, how, like, what the fuck? How did, I mean, I don't know. That's kind of weird, isn't it? Uh, I mean. Somebody, <clears throat> he had a, well, a cork vest is a, is a life jacket. Yeah. So he had gotten out to the the deck, presumably, and had that on. But I don't know what level of I mean I would think that a life jacket would be buoyant enough to drag even a dead body. I mean he could have had the life jacket on while he was inside the boat. Yeah. yeah and somehow I the guess. currents 
I guess yeah, just like the position of the body. I guess that was like a mystery. People were kind of. And trying you said to like it, it was twenty years too. Like yeah, uh, yeah. So ob- weird obviously, with that all happening, there was a huge investigation on you know how did the Fitzgerald sink, and again, this investigation went from. I mean, questioning the crew from the Anderson that was helping in in the search, uh, other ships in the area. They had the loaders from from the Burlington Northern Railroad docks where the Fitzgerald had last filled up. They were asking those guys, you know, was it an uneven load? Um, no, they looked pleasant. they looked at the wreckage and logs uh, from the Coast Guard of the Fitzgerald. But after months of just asking everybody and trying to figure out what they could, the Coast Guard released the final report that was very questionable to some people as they believed that the clamps on the hatch coverings, of course, of where the iron ore was going into, had failed or were improperly secured. Uh, That led to a slow and steady flood of the cargo hold. And, of course, slowly the Fitzgerald lost ability until she sank below the waves in Lake Superior. But one of the probably biggest influences in the business, uh, the president of the Lake Carriers Association after the Coast Guard came out with that and said it was the hatch coverings that made uh, the Fitzgerald sink, he mm. said, quote-unquote, that is absolutely incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 of course, after him saying that, and there was other people too, like uh, the, the, the captain of the Anderson had, had questions of whether or not it was the hatch coverings. Um, but the only thing that really he talked about um, was whatever happened was sudden and catastrophic because... Of course, there was no mayday call. Um, there was no, mm-hmm. there was no. Um, I forgot what it's called. There's another word for like a mayday call. But did you just say something, Aaron? SOS, save, save our ship. Yeah. yeah. So he figured whatever it was, it was it. It happened in a, a blink of an eye, and they 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 like they didn't see it coming. Because if they were slowly sinking, and he kind of noticed that you know part of the ship was maybe, I don't know. You just figured that they would at least have a mayday call or something. Mm-hmm. Like, we're going to go down, we're going to, but just nothing. They just lost them. Lost them minutes after they had last communicated. Well, and with the hatch coverings thing, <clears throat> on my research here, I have um, that the, at 729 feet long, the Edmund had um, 21 hatch coverings. They had three cargo holds, so three areas that they stored the taconite, the the iron ore pellets. Um, so it was like three of those latches per. No, sixty-eight. So oh, sixty-eight. So wow. each, so each, um, each um, uh, cargo hatch covering weighed seven tons. So it was a seven-ton sheet of steel that spanned probably sixty-something feet. The ship's you know seventy-five feet wide. So. Um, 21 of those seven ton sheets of steel on each of them and each sheet, uh, had 68 clamps. So it took the, the, the Mariners, um, apparently 30 minutes to load each hatch. So I think that's filling it with ore and putting the hatch covering on. So it was like a six hour, six plus hour ordeal to load this whole thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and they always talk about how they had found the best of the best on the great lakes so there was also questions of 
you know, there's no way in hell that a crew like that, like 29 of the best fucking guys for the job, mm-hmm. can fuck mm-hmm. up that easily. Because obviously you have to think that that has to be something that is ingrained in all of their mind. You know, like you need to be able to secure these properly or you could have problems. None of them are slouching. They were they were all the best at what they did in terms of the area that they were they were in. Mm-hmm. You know, and being the Midwest. Another another kind of theory, I guess, because there's like if you go on, I know Wikipedia is not like a great site, but there's it shows. I mean, we were told that it might be a great site, but <laughs> there's like five or six different kinds of theories, which we don't have to get into all of them. And Chris, I feel like you know all of them. But no, I just know the biggest theory about the about the latches and that basically no one was really checking on them because no one really thought that it was an issue that water would get into those compartments like that you know yeah they had the pumps running and they thought the pumps would be able to evacuate all the water out of the system Mm -hmm. so i think it was really just a goof up yeah it could have been the captain of the anderson um he said that there were like like a few minutes before he had last contacted um mcsorley and he said he was holding his own um probably about like five minutes later there were they call them like sister waves the three mm-hmm. the three three waves that um they just i think it's one one comes and it and the ship Shout out to the YouTube. <laughs> Just kidding. Mm-hmm. But a big wave comes <laughs> and it rides it. And then as it's coming back down, the the second wave or the second wave comes. And then mm-hmm. it, it is pretty much like imagine like planking. You're planking mm-hmm. on two wave crests. And as you're planking and you're coming back down, the third one, I guess, is the biggest that comes. And so when it's coming down, the third wave comes and just fucking swallows it the captain of the anderson said that while he was just had gotten done communicating with him three of three waves sister waves had hit the anderson and he said they were going in the direction of the fitzgerald so he thinks that like and it it was around like the same time and again that kind of kind of goes with the theory of it being catastrophic and sudden um, yeah, just like rocketed it straight to the bottom of the lake. Right, and like they call those rogue waves too, like unexpected, like yeah. large waves. Because there was actually a, a simulation that was done. Um, it had to have been by like the National Weather Service or something. But they took all. The, I don't know how they even do it. I didn't even watch a video. I, I just read. A, I just read about it. But it's basically a simulation where you put in all the elements of what was happening that night with the wind and the wave. Hmm. heights and stuff and and i i guess the simulation was like almost exactly the same description as the captain of the anderson and in the simulation it said one out of a hundred waves because they said that the waves were about 25 to 30 feet that night it said that in that simulation one out of a hundred waves were like 38 feet and it said one out of every a thousand wave It was like 54 feet. So then the simulation, wow. the guys were thinking, you know, maybe it was just a fucking giant ass wave. Maybe it was just one singular wave that just took it out and 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 just made her go to the bottom of the lake. Very possible. One, 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 one thing about the weight. 
It won't really take too much with with all the weight and water. And... No. And Dylan, you talked about this earlier in the week, and it had to have been the same video. But the Anderson, the captain of the Anderson, talked about how he had captain ships in the ocean, like during hurricanes. And he said that that night on Lake Superior, it had been the worst seas that he've ever have ever been in, hmm. which is unbelievable to think about. Another thing too, <clears throat> in terms of the numbers, which a lot of people, I guess, for context. <clears throat> so you said like the waves, um, every one in a hundred was like thirty plus, and every one in a thousand was like fifty plus. The Edmund Fitzgerald was thirty nine feet from hull to deck yep. so from the Whoa. bottom of the of the v <clears throat> to the deck was 39 feet high so this thing rolling in those crazy in those crazy seas as well as um where it sank as well 530 feet um from from the the water the, the surface i guess to the the bottom of lake superior's floor was 530 feet and this ship was 729 feet long so as Tony said, one wave, shout out to the YouTube here. I'm using a pen as the Edmund Fitzgerald. The first wave, if it was sister waves, hit and brought the ship up. The second wave was even higher, brought the ship even up further. And then the next wave eventually brought him up again and then down yeah. to the bottom. And, so, and like you said, if it like what if it just nose dives, like yeah. Yeah. It's gonna You've just got, smash. I mean, oh, I mean that the freaking iron ore in there. The, dif- yeah. the difference, the difference is two hundred feet from. So, mm. if that ship was touching the bottom at five hundred thirty feet, there would be two. There would be two hundred feet. So, damn near a third of the thing um, sticking out of the water as it yeah. as it crashed. Not, not to mention Whoa. the amount of water that could have been right in the, because, in the cargo because, holds because there was possibly more water in there that should yeah should have been yeah correct and you know in one of the last transmissions where mcsorley said that you know there was there was top deck damage the the rail was down i, I don't know if that's like the side rail of the ship or probably what, yeah. what that is um but if they were taking water they said both pumps are on if you know anything about pumps you you don't run them dry so there had so to have been yeah they had to have confirmed and that's all through radio transmissions yeah that we can't that we'll never know because as we were discussing earlier before we uh, started recording, um, on flights there's black box uh, flight recorders that record no matter what. They're indestructible, um, which people argue why wouldn't you make the whole plane out of that material? But um, they don't have they didn't have those on ships, and maybe they do have them on ships now. I'm not. I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, me. I'm, not I'm pretty sure they do. But it it begs a question as well as the the speed at which all of this happened you know mm. i think there's probably a broken down timetable and, and we maybe missed that in our research but from the time that that mcsorley said to the anderson we're holding our own to the time that they lost sight into the time that it was the anderson it, turned back around and saw life jackets yeah it was well i know that it was 10 minutes between them losing sight of them like completely off radar and yep. the last communication they had. But the time it took the Anderson to get to Whitefish Bay, which they did, and then mm-hmm. turn around to go back out, I don't know. Yeah. So it was a 10-minute span, and again, 
Captain Cooper from the Anderson talked about how in that time after they had talked on the on the radio was when he felt those sister waves or the rogue yeah. waves that he said that were going right towards the direction of where the Fitz and, was. And how bizarre is that to drive with a snowstorm, drive a massive vessel through a snowstorm, get to nearly, to, I mean, to Whitefish Bay, be told by the Coast Guard, hey, if you can turn around, you should probably do I know, it's insane. Have him. And he fucking they turn around and drives and back into the storm. Well, but the snow started to lighten up is what he said. Yeah. And then they, they show up into what I assume isn't completely calm seas, but... Well, yeah, so cl- that's what I'm cl- saying. Like, up a little bit. The snow ain't a big deal. It's the goddamn 30 to 50 foot fucking waves. That <laughs> yeah. the whole but, time. but to turn around and to drive a, a massive ship looking for an even bigger ship and then just to see life jackets. Yeah. And maybe oars from, I forget what the actual debris was, but just to see little bits and pieces of yeah and not not yeah and not anything like conclusive you know like you just see like a couple life jackets and maybe like a half of a lifeboat or just something enough to, yeah just enough to yeah be like, oh. yeah right and, well, and it's and- crazy these transmissions you can hear on youtube there's like a 35 minute long video of the entire the entire i don't think they have mcsorley saying we're holding our own uh maybe but you hear from the point on where captain cooper from the anderson is really really starting to be concerned about the fits and 30 35 minutes on like it's crazy the like energy and probably the adrenaline they had like in the first 10 minutes and then as the video gets longer and they start to like kind of be like holy fuck i think it sank the tone in their voices at like the end of the video is wild like he's just like I don't know. I don't know. Like, cause at first she's like, "Hey, does anyone have uh, can anyone have transmission on?" Uh, and like, you know, they're firing back and forth. Yeah. And then if you like fast forward to the end, you can just hear Captain Cooper from the Anderson be like, "I don't know. I just he told me he was holding his own, and I don't know what happened." Like he's just like so sad because he's probably in that moment realizing that that yeah. fucker went down, and he was just literally ten miles behind him, and they were ten miles from Whitefish Point, which is <clears throat> even crazier to think that they would have been yeah. there and. They would have been it's there in an s- hour. That's crazy how slow, yeah, how slow it is though. Because you know, at that point, the Anderson was was going against. I mean, the wind blows from the west to the east, typically across Superior, and that's the way the way the storm was moving, to my knowledge. And they just they didn't they were going against that at you know the the um, excuse me the the Edmund Fitzgerald was moving at its fastest at sixteen miles per hour. Yeah. Right. And then there, the Anderson going against the wind back towards that was probably ten, yeah, ten or less. Yeah, looking if at that. This, yeah, I think he said this. in the radio transmission that he's like, I think I'm, I, I might be able to get, uh, because not uh, knots and um miles per hour are pretty similar. They're close. They're yeah, like they're close, like but they're one, not. like one off or something. And I think he said two knots, so like three miles per hour. But we didn't even talk about even like the the shoals, like the the little patchy you know like the underwater islands i like to call them it was reported i guess captain cooper from the anderson said that the navigation map that the edmund fitzgerald had there's a shoal that's near whitefish point that again is just like you know a shallower piece like sand sand right right in the water he had a map that you didn't, you didn't even find out about this in the documentary until, like, the fucking last five minutes. It's like, you'd think they talk about this sooner. But the map that the Edmund Fitzgerald had in the navigation, which, again, top of the line, I don't know how this, any of this happened. 
they said that the shawl that was on the map on the Evan Fitzgerald was off by like a mile. And they think that the direction that they were taking, that maybe he forgot about the offage of the shawl and was going towards that. So that's another theory of them bottoming out on that shawl and then it just breaking in half on it when they bottomed out. Yeah. And that shawl was uh, six fathoms deep, so so 36, um, 36 feet deep. A fathom is six feet, apparently. So, um, yeah, literally, enough. literally the height from the hull yeah. to the deck yeah. of the Edmund Fitzgerald in apparently thirty-six plus waves. So, if a wave hit that fucker hard, this, dude, oh my from god, crest the trough. If, if for the listeners who don't understand waves, the crest Smart is the bottom dude. of the wave. The tro- or excuse me, the, the the trough is the bottom of the wave. Crest is the top of the wave. So, if those are thirty-six feet, then the bottom of the of the you know, the smallest wave that they said they were experiencing was 36 feet. So they were potentially in a foot of water, but, <laughs> but Crazy. I don't even know how that, I don't know how, I don't understand buoyancy enough to, to, to make that claim. Yeah. But if that's true, this thing was potentially the hull was scraped as shit, but they took in 1995, um, a Canadian team, which shout out to the Canadians, I guess they yeah, got out there before Michigan Mich- yeah, did and the U.S. government did, but they took a boat out there. They took like a, a pseudo submarine, brought a guy down there in a little spacesuit, and uh, got a bunch of footage. And they reclaimed the original bell off the deck, yeah. um, and replaced wow. the bell with a new bell that had the names of the sailors there. And then mm-hmm. after that, it was declared. Maybe it was in 2000s they went back out there, but eventually it was declared by I think the federal government that it was considered a burial, burial ground and that no yep. other ships or expeditions would go down to the Edmund Fitzgerald. Well, the, the family, I think, didn't the family members ask, basically ask that because they, they didn't want people going there? And, yeah. Yeah, which yeah. I, I, you know, there's part of me, I don't know. I didn't have a family member that went down there. Well, you want somebody going would, inside your fucking parents' graves? It's like the same thing, I, isn't it? I, I don't yeah. know. I mean, there's a lot of well, trauma. It that, private it, property? There's a lot of trauma there, 100. percent And I don't know what I I don't know the I guess I'd have to look at the to pinpoint really see if it was an that's a weird take. Water. But but I I just think that well because there's a guy in the in there's a documentary on YouTube. It's like 45 minutes long. It was shot in 1995 when the Canadian team went out there, and they interviewed a man whose dad you know passed and all this. Or excuse me, it was his brother, and. And he was like, you know, I, I always might, he, he'd went off to Vietnam and he said, my brother told me the brother being the one in the admin, uh, he said, my, my brother told me when I went out to Vietnam, um, you know, if I couldn't come back or whatever, he would go out and get me. And he went off to Vietnam, brother died in the admin Fitzgerald. And so the brother that came back from Vietnam tried to go down, you know, tried mm, to mm-hmm. get his brother's body, you know, come back and get him. That's fucking hard and he, though to do. I feel and he like. couldn't. And, and, he, yeah. and he said in the documentary, he's like, he's like, this is, this is as close as I can get is being on this ship where they're going down to get the bell and going down. Yeah. That it's gotta be footage. tough. But I don't know. I just, I just would think that how many years later, you know, 20 plus years later, I would think that, uh, excuse me, 47 years later that we would have the technology to go down there and, and, and um, divers could be comfortable and they could go through the wreckage entirely, maybe not independently. They'd probably still have to be on leashes for the oxygen and pressure regulation. But you, like, what do you think, think they're going to they get down there 
at least get, get the bodies in, to the surface yeah. and then give register to vote at least give them <laughs> oh my god <laughs> hey, there's 29 volts down there yeah so, there's 29 volts so i i would think that and i and i don't know i can't say this for sure but i would like to think that you know maybe not independent crews but there should be I don't know, some sort of board or committee set up with the families, you know, if, even if it's great grandchildren to say, yes, I think you should go down there and at least try and figure out more what happened if you can. Yeah. But the record keeping was so, you know, they just didn't have any way to really determine what happened. Mm-hmm. But if they were being after, be... I just think after all these years, you ain't going to find too much. No. Yeah. But, and, and I don't know, there's so many shipwrecks though. Like you're going to, you're going to, you're going to see one. two, you're going to see two halves of the ship. Like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's I'm, saying, Titanic, like. I'm saying if you've seen, uh, there's a couple documentaries that came out about the Titanic and they took ships. But the thing about the Titanic like, is robot. there was a bunch of fucking witnesses that lived. Yeah, mm-hmm. but but I'm saying the um, there Good were point. there were submersible craft that went down, they're very tiny, yeah, and they they went through all the hallways that they could of the actual Titanic and they were to, they were able to see things. I mean, it's like hours and hours of footage. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the, the Titanic is in a lot deeper water, too. Sure. But, well, and that's actually to my point, because it's only 530 feet of water. Yes, it's unfit for a diver, but those specialized machines that went down to the Titanic are easily fit for... Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. For, I mean, that's what the Navy period. used to, to be able to identify it the first time, but... Um, do you think no I know they they say that you know the lake is said to never give up their dead yeah. or give up her dead 47 years later do you think you're going down there and there's a pristine human body No I wouldn't say pristine I mean that's a thing though freshwater life versus saltwater life So I'm um, saying cuz that's that's the saying like you know it, you never I mean I think I think you'd find maybe skeletons in clo- clothing yeah. but the lake is so cold and even at 530 feet deep i wonder i wonder what the temperature is at 530 feet on a hot summer day because i think that water's pretty damn cold down there so i think i think you'd have maybe some preservation this is just pure conjecture but yeah i think you'd find i think you'd find i think you'd find skeletons in clothing for sure because they're they're probably trapped in that ship but if the thing's snapped in half then there's i mean there's it's clearly the cargo bay. Have you guys ever watched The Perfect Storm with George Clooney? Oh, yeah, dude. Yes. Classic. That's, that's a great movie. That's a fucking... That's a good movie. That's a good movie. No, it really is, but, like, that scene when they're... Spoiler alert. When they're sinking and they're all... Like, I understand that that's probably not how it went. Because, again, Captain Cooper of the Anderson said it was probably sudden and catastrophic since there was no warning call or anything. So they probably didn't have time to brace or even understand what was happening. But could you fucking imagine if they did? Like, I, I can't... Like, you're in a fucking big-ass vessel, and you're just like, you're just like, well, we're going down, you know? Yeah, I mean, at, at, at some point, it had to have been known at, at some point that they were probably like, we're, we're all going to die. Like, this ship's going, this ship's going down. My, my thought process is like, is like, okay, are you going to accept it? And be like, okay, I'm gonna sit here and say my last words, or am I gonna try and survive this somehow and like fight for every fucking last breath of air? Yeah, and, and with what you're saying is, 
another theory that um, Captain Cooper from the Anderson talked about was he thinks that they're maybe. I mean, he, 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 the theory of the sudden and it being catastrophic is probably what he believes in the most, it sounded like. But he also said that there is a chance that McSorley was so seasoned that there was no mayday call or warning because he didn't want to scare his guys. He either either knew, he either 100% knew, he's like, oh shit, or he didn't know at all. And if you look at, if you look at this model, and this is like, Man, this is maybe a bad example, but when you look at this model, this thing sinks in like less than 20 seconds in in this model. And I don't know if that's to speed, to scale. I don't know how they they came up with this model, but it is in this video, it's less than 20 seconds. The video is a minute and 12 seconds long. These guys, shows... just, got, these guys just got drugged to the bottom. <laughs> yeah, the fuckers got yeah, swallowed. Yeah, and it's actually it's a very weird YouTube channel name. Um, but just type in Edmund Fitzgerald simulation on YouTube for for our listeners, and it's the um, there's the the one the first search is like ten minutes long. That's not the one that I'm <laughs> referencing. Um, but the other one is a minute and thirteen seconds, and I don't know if and this looks like it's by some guy seven years ago. Yeah, there's there's a bunch of different ones actually. Now that I'm looking at it. But... Yeah, what the fuck is this dude doing behind me? <laughs> Shout out to the YouTube. Yo, is that your cat, bro? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. Is that your cat? He's like, what? I don't have a cat. <laughs> oh, he's that's, still, a, bro. that's a big ass bug. <laughs> There's a squirrel in your house. <laughs> oh my gosh. So yes, um, and also to end this conversation, if it, maybe it's not over yet, but um, <laughs> Gordon Lightfoot. I mean, I'm sure oh a lot of people fucking know the song, but if you have Canadian. absolutely no idea about the Edmund Fitzgerald and what I'm about to tell you, but there is a song about this, and every year I listen to it on the anniversary, because now that I'm on the water in Marquette, like I see ships all the time. Yeah, and you've seen um, the Anderson. And I saw you've the Anderson, seen... yeah. The Anderson actually was in Marquette last year for a safe harbor. It it was... Oh, my... The Echo... My bad. No, you're good. I but, was trying to take a Snapchat on the cat. But last year, there was a really bad storm on Lake Superior, and that's, of course, where I, where I live, right on the beach. And there was, like, seven ships that came in safe harbor in, in Marquette, and uh, the Anderson was one of them. And I will say, that's too, crazy. another one, the Paul R. Trigger. I don't know if this last year I've been just obsessed with fucking warships, but the Paul R. Trigurtha, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that that. Um, last name right, but that took the crown because because again the the fits at the time in 1957 to I think 72 was the biggest ship in the uh, in the Great Lakes. But now the Paular Tragertha is, and again going back, the fits was 729 feet long. The Tragertha is 1,013 feet long. And that is barking up, bark, barking up the wrong. Yeah, you don't want to be. You don't want to be. <laughs> but the Tragertha is. I don't know if like they consider the Edmund the king of the. I don't know with the, the with queen the, of the Great Lakes. But the Tragertha is the queen of the Great Lakes. Um, well, so, you got to think about it, man. Like, just think how much <laughs> more. <laughs> yeah, no, that's what I mean. It's like I, I don't even know when the last time. I mean, and again, we should we should mention that we haven't yet, but obviously, I mean, it's kind of a given that the. The Edmund is a great story and a 
fantastic story because the mystery of no one knowing what happened officially, and it's because the Evan Fitzgerald was and still is the biggest ship to ever sink in Lake Superior. So, but Jogurtha is on deck right now. So, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But, um, yeah, going back to the, the Anderson, though. So, seven ships. So, I guess I was just going to say that Jogurtha was one of the other ships that were in safe harboring. So, I got, there was some pretty cool history just fucking some hundred yards from my house. I got a sick picture of the Anderson, actually. It's it pretty cool. But another Anderson story, it's still operating to this day fascinating enough it was built actually after or before excuse me no yeah seven, before, seven years before before the Fitzgerald and in all the videos and all the documentaries that I've watched of course it's kind of given that the Anderson is still operating today the Fitzgerald probably good chance that it be still still uh, spewing iron ore out on the Great Lakes, but of course it's not the Andersons like pussy loads now, you know, because it's an old <laughs> ship, so they're not hauling like they used to. Um, yeah. But it's kind of just crazy to think about, you know. I think about. Yeah, I wonder if I wonder if they're even hauling iron ore or what they're hauling now. Because I don't know, like the mining operations in the UP of at least in the UP of. Well, I know, I know. Before it was halted. Like even when we were younger, it was all coal. Remember. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mills. And if you think about it, not really the UP doesn't really have a connection really anymore per se. I yeah. mean, because these ships obviously are going across the Great Lakes to go from like Duluth to get to Detroit. There's or still Cleveland. there's still a lot of steel steel making and shit. Yeah. Down down in like Chicago. I'm sure maybe and, and maybe stone. You know, there, there could be other stuff that they're hauling. Um, but. Obviously, the the Great Lake or the Lake Superior is used to get from, you know, Duluth, which is a huge port, to Detroit, yeah. Cleveland, Chicago. But I will say to end it, if you guys have anything else, I have a Lake Superior ship tracker bookmarked on my fucking. <laughs> Again, I live on the water. I was fascinated by vessels the last couple of years, so I I have it every once in a while. And I just looked before we started this podcast, but the Arthur M. Anderson was. Uh, docked at uh was it alpina yeah yeah, yeah. before the- which that's that's mid-voyage too yeah so again it's still operating not, so cool so cool that's still operating and uh captain cooper actually is still the captain he's 148 years old <laughs> <laughs> dude you had just, me you, you honestly <laughs> oh my god you had me for like but i i will i was like what I, the- I keep saying last thing but another cool Arthur M. Anderson's story was, I believe it was last year, um, on the anniversary on November 10th of 2021 no. or 2020, it was maybe a couple years ago, they were in Duluth, and I guess every year, I don't know if it's in Duluth, but wherever the Arthur M. Anderson is, they honk yeah. their horn 29 times, which is very cool. Dang! Yeah, I guess oh, the bell, the bell that that Canadian team pulled out, the bell from the the bridge of the ship or wherever the hell that they placed it, that bell is is rung twenty nine times. Mm-hmm. Um, Where's that uh, bell at? I don't know. It's the at, Canadian team recovered it. It's but at, I don't know where it's they at put Whitefish it. Point at the, yeah. at the in, Great Lakes in, Museum. Yeah, the shipwreck so, museum. It'd be cool for all of us to. Yeah, it'd be sick. And there's a meet, lot of cool. There. There's a lot of cool um, things from like uh, they have. 
models, like a little sandbox model of like how the Fitz is laying right now in Lake Superior. Yeah. And in shambles. Um, I think you can he- you can put on the headphones and listen to the, but I guess you can oh, just do that on YouTube. Tra- but radio transmissions. Yeah. But anyways, more story of the Anderson at, in Duluth. Again, if, I don't know if it was last year or two years ago, but they rang it 29 times. But on November 10th of that year, there was a fucking horrible storm. Oh boy. So bad. It was snowing so bad that um, the Anderson had to like come in multiple times to try to get inside the, the harbor, but they couldn't because they couldn't see. And there's a video on Facebook, I think. Or YouTube probably. Oh, I think I've seen this. But it's the Anderson coming in, and it's just fucking like windy, and the snow is crazy, and they're they're and the f- waves are coming over, and they're the... fucking ringing the bell twenty nine times as it's like coming in. And it was just like holy shit, that's wild. Like on the yeah. same day, like you know, however many years later, and all the, all those guys know the story. The, yeah. The first the first day of your training, the first the Krusty Krab training video on the <laughs> Arthur and Anderson as a sailor is like, yeah, you want to know what not to fucking do? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Oh, it's crazy. You know, I always, when I was growing up, looking at jobs on those ships. Because you work for like seven months and you get all that yeah. time off. And I think you make pretty good money depending on what yeah, you, you do. You honestly do. Obviously, yeah, if you're giving like the captain you, you handies. Make a, you make like probably, like I know I, I can't fucking honestly speak for the the dudes that work in the Great Lakes, but I know, for example, like the the crab fishermen, like up in the the fucking Alaska. Yeah, you know they make they make like fucking like sixty k a year, mm-hmm. and, and they and they and work they work yeah like right six fucking, like and their six boat is, maybe their boat is like a tenth of the size. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, but that, they like the, the coal. Boats yeah, inside. it's a rough life, very rough life. But I mean, like shit, like if you don't fucking mind hard work and you yeah. Know, being away from your family. Side of the boat for six fucking months and, and I, I should and say dying too, there's, three times a year. there's a guy on TikTok that rips one of those ships. I don't know what he does, but some of the videos are fucking amazing. Like the sunrises and the sunsets when they're out there. And in like if you I mean there's there's all of our listeners must know Lake Superior. But it's yeah. fucking massive. Yeah. It's not it like, like it's thing. not like what you think. It's not, you know, it literally looks like the ocean. Yeah, like if yeah. you're out in the middle of the lake, like you can't fucking see like yeah. land You'd at have times. No idea. Yeah, there's no. There's yeah, you no go, you go like a mile out in the lake, you literally can't see anything. No, and the videos that he takes, it literally looks like he's on the ocean, and it's crazy because everyone in the comments always ask, like, "Oh, do you know the Edmund story of the Edmund Fitzgerald?" <laughs> yeah, like so, he doesn't. Yeah, fucking, yeah. Like I said, Krusty Krab training. That's the first story they hear. Yep. I guarantee. Yep. And shout out to the YouTube. You can see B's dream. Oh my god! Uh, <laughs> maybe I'll. I'm glad we. I'm glad we acknowledged it. Maybe I'll for those Spotify right, listeners. Right, get the views up. You know what I'm talking about? Oh and you see gosh. Dylan's cute cat. I mean, yeah. what's that cat going after? You got a roach climbing up that wall. What the hell's Probably going on here? No, it's a spider. Big ass spider or something. This is Loki. Yeah. Fucking scorpion, climbing the walls. All right. Well, I think this we're gonna. This is on Snapchat and uh, Instagram page. Does he actually? No. Oh, he should. That he's fucking crazy, dude. He's the one you take on a leash. Yeah. On the gate, alligator <laughs> ponds. Oh my god. On those alligator ponds. Well, I think that is gonna do it for episode. Chris, you got anything else for the fans? Chris, <laughs> he has his headphones in too. We do we Chris. Maybe we, maybe we could fuck with his dreams. Is he breathing? Hey, Chris. 
Hey, Chris. <laughs> he thinks Evan is yeah, I don't know. Evan a nightmare. We, gotta, we better call Kayla, dude. No, he's... Chris. <laughs> Chris, you have a shitty mustache. We're gonna have to. You're gonna have to compress the shit out of this because I'm just screaming. Chris. 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 <laughs> Chris, we got a power line down. Chris, we got a fiber optic cable down. I don't even know what to say to him, dude. Hey, Chris, you gotta drive the gas truck one more time. Oh no. Oh, I, I, sh- I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say that. Um, there's, we're not gonna do Redneck Kino today, this week. So. Well, Chris. We'll double it up maybe next week and we can, we can pick a number four. Hit her hard, but hey, we got we got fucking deer season coming up here, boys. Yeah, none dude. of us hunt, but hey, it's gonna be a fun time. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna hunt, but then I got derailed. But gonna come up yeah. to hunt? Yeah. No, I'm not coming up to hunt. That's for sure. All right, well, take it easy, fellas, and shout out to the failures again. Follow the YouTube or subscribe to the YouTube. Follow the Twitter at F A I F Hour. You're going to see, uh, wait, that's Holy Night. Why am I, or Silent Night, why am I singing that? I was trying to sing a lullaby for Chris. Christmas? (laughs) Lullaby for Chris. Lullaby and goodnight. Lullaby, baby, on the treetops. Dude, this is incredible. He needs to wake up for work tomorrow. We might need to call him. The fiber will, no, he'll, he'll. All right, that's going to be a perfect. Episode 28. That's going to be a beautiful ending. Dude, I turned. I, I turned. Thanks for listening to failure at its finest hour. I saw a dude. There was a dude ripping fucking pills in the back room one time. Thanks for listening. Oh yeah, side story. Remember when we drug all the equipment out of the basketball court behind that place and blew the lid off the town? Thanks for listening to failure at its finest hour. Penguin! It was Penguin! Nice! Another perfect round. Thanks for listening. Distinctively remember getting thrown to the ground when that first one blew up. Thanks for listening.